Uh, well, friends, uh, I want to begin this morning with a confession. I love watching the sound of music. Uh, I love the songs they sing, uh, climb every mountain, my favourite things, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Uh, I love the plot. Uh, it's about seven young children and their lonely single father who, with the help of uh, Fraulein Maria, is transformed into a family of singers. Uh, however, uh, the really striking thing about The Sound of Music is that it's, uh, it happens against the backdrop of uh, the rise of Nazism in the country of Austria. Uh, I love The Sound of Music because it's a story that takes you beyond the darkness of this life and helps you to see a, a brighter future. Uh, musicals do that in general, don't they? They take you out of the frustrations and difficulties and the, the sheer mundaneness of life, and they help you to see a, a different reality. Uh, now today, uh, we're going to look at this uh, psalm towards the end of the book of Psalms in Psalm 148. And uh, I want to suggest that reading this psalm is a little bit like watching the sound of music. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like watching a musical. Because uh, it's meant to lift our eyes off the present circumstances that you and I find ourselves in. And it's meant to focus our eyes on God, the one who created all things. Uh, it's meant to focus us on who God is and what he has done for us such that we can praise him even in the midst of life's difficulties and circumstances. Uh, now, Psalm 148 is part of Book 5 of the Psalms, which uh, I think is written from the point of view of the people of Israel who, are in, uh, who have come back from exile in, in Babylon. Uh, if you know your biblical history... Uh, you will know that one of the darkest periods uh, in the history of Israel was when they were taken off into a foreign land, into the land of Babylon, as slaves in the 6th century. Uh, this was a time when uh, their temple was destroyed uh, and uh, the people of, uh, of Israel were taken off uh, into this foreign land of Babylon. But uh, within about 70 years, the people of Israel were freed by uh, another king, uh, the, the King Cyrus from Persia, and they were allowed to return to Jerusalem uh, to begin to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. Uh, you can see that this is the backdrop of Book 5 uh, in a number of different places, but uh, if you have a quick glance over with me to Psalm 147, Psalm 147 and verse 2, um, I think you can see a glimpse of it there. Psalm 147, verse 2, the psalmist says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. And so here they are. They, they've come back to, to Jerusalem, and uh, the Lord is helping them to build up the city again. The return of uh, Israel from exile was another one of God's saving acts towards his people. But uh, it didn't take long for the people of Israel to understand that this wasn't the great salvation that God had been speaking to them about in the scriptures. Uh, in fact, we're told in the book of Ezra that even as they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, 
some of the old men of Israel began to weep. And they began to weep because they could see that this new temple was only a shadow of the previous temple that Solomon had built. And so the people of Israel began to understand that the great day of salvation was not now. It was still in the future. And in the meantime, they would continue to face the frustrations and difficulties and mundaneness of this life as they waited for this wonderful day to come. And friends, I want to suggest that that is not too different from our situation, is it? You know, salvation has come to us in Jesus, and yet salvation is still in the future. We wait for him to return. And as we wait for him to return, uh, I wonder whether you and I feel sometimes the futility of life, the difficulty of life, the sheer mundaneness of life at times as we live in this fallen world. For if you do, then this psalm is designed to help us to see beyond our circumstances to a greater reality so that we can praise God even in the midst of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Uh, Now, Psalm 148 is a series of five psalms that finishes the book of Psalms. Uh, These psalms go from Psalm 146 to Psalm 150, and they are frequently called the Hallelujah Psalms. Because uh, if you have a look at uh, all those psalms, you'll notice that they all begin and end with the word Hallelujah. Uh, You might notice uh, that in Psalm 148, uh, as well as the other psalms, the translators of the Bible have uh, chosen to use the phrase, Praise the Lord... For that is what hallelujah means. Uh, Hal means to praise. Uh, Hallelujah is a a command uh, to praise God. And Yah is just the shortened way of saying Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, which was revealed to the people of Israel. Uh, The word Yahweh is always translated uh, with the word Lord in capital letters uh, in your Old Testaments. But what does it mean to praise the Lord? Well, uh, given our 21st century Christian context, uh, I need to point out that the the word praise doesn't mean singing. Uh, I think largely due to the influence of the praise and worship movement in in Christian circles around the world, it's easy to think that uh, praise simply means singing. But praising the Lord it's not simply about seeing, it's actually about declaring how great and how excellent and how wonderful this God really is and speaking about the things that he has done that demonstrate his greatness. Uh, I've been watching the the Soccer World Cup uh, for the last few weeks. Hands up if you've been watching the Soccer World Cup. A few tired-looking people uh, with their hands up at the moment. Um, I, I, I love to watch the post-match interviews with uh, the coaches uh, in, in, uh, in soccer games, especially when they win. Uh, you might know that uh, England won a match uh, last week against the Colombians. Uh, I think they won last night as well, did they? Um, 
I suppose I can live with that. Um, but when they interviewed the English coach, well, he was full of praise for his players. He gave full credit to his players and all the members of the staff who had been working so hard to make this victory possible. You see, that's praise, isn't it? I mean, he could have broken out into song during one of these interviews, but he was simply declaring uh, how great and excellent his team had been in their performance. Further, uh, praising the Lord is, is not simply limited to the vertical. I mean, uh, I really hope and, uh, hope and pray that when we sing and when we pray to God in private, we are telling God how great and excellent he really is. But equally, we praise God to one another. We, we do it horizontally as well. As we speak with one another and as we speak with non-believers about how great and how excellent our God really is. Now, that's equally praising God, isn't it? I mean, the English soccer coach, I'm sure, praised his players individually and privately in the dressing room. But equally, when he was in front of the, the, the world's media in the press conference, uh, that's where he praised his team. You see, when we speak about how great and excellent God is before others, before a watching world, well, we bring much glory and honour to God in this world. Is this how you and I praise the Lord? Is our praise uh, expansive in this way as we declare how great and excellent he is before others? Uh, now, friends, uh, the structure of this psalm uh, is pretty simple, really. Uh, it can be broken up into two parts. Uh, in verse 1, uh, you'll notice there that the psalmist calls for praise to come from the heavens. And in verse 7, he calls for praise to come from the earth. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, these two parts in turn. Uh, but firstly, the psalmist begins by calling for praise to come from the heavens, which are above the earth. And notice that he begins by calling on the parts of creation that are in the highest heavens. Uh, in verse 2, uh, he says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts, or literally armies. Uh, he's talking about uh, the creatures that serve God in the heavens. He's speaking about things that we cannot necessarily see with our eyes, but which nevertheless describe what is going on in heaven. But then he goes a little bit lower from the highest heavens to the heavenly bodies that, we, uh, that, that you and I see in the sky. He says in verse 3, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you shining stars. You see, he's calling on these heavenly bodies that uh, we simply need to look up to be able to see to offer their praise to God. But then he goes a little bit lower still from the heavenly bodies in the sky to what is immediately above us. In verse 4 he says, Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Uh, I think in ancient Israel they, they sort of thought of the sky as this huge reservoir of water which will occasionally release its water uh, to, to shower down upon the earth. Uh, 
Um, we might call these things, you know, the clouds. But here, the psalmist is calling upon even these parts of creation to praise the Lord. And why should they, they praise the Lord? Why should praise come from the heavens? Well, you can see it there in verse 5, can't you? Verse 5, it's because the Lord has created all these things with his powerful word. It says, let the praise uh, let, sorry, let, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Words are powerful, aren't they? Uh, I mean, we tell one another that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that's not actually true, is it? We remember hurtful words that have been spoken to us as though it happened yesterday. Words can hurt like a piercing knife precisely because they are powerful. And so, because words are powerful, they can do a tremendous amount of good as well. We might remember words that were spoken to us that have shaped our lives and directed the course of our lives in profound ways. Uh, on my bookshelf, I have a, a book called uh, 21 Speeches That Shaped Our World. Uh, it's a book about uh, powerful men who spoke powerful words in their speeches. Uh, in it, you can read the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr., which shaped how the world thinks about civil rights. You can read the We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech by Winston Churchill, which turned the tide of the Second World War. You might be able to think of other words that have shaped how the world thinks and behaves. But there is only one whose words have not only shaped the world, but whose words have created the world. In Genesis 1, God simply speaks his powerful word and the creation comes into existence. Let there be lights in the sky, in the expanse of the sky. And suddenly the sun and the moon and the stars come into existence. I mean, who is this God of Israel who can simply speak and the sun and moon and stars come into being? You know, the world has become a smaller place and we can now travel to the other side of the world uh, just by uh, hopping on a plane. But do you know how long it will take for you to travel around the sun? Well, uh, I'm told that if you get on a commercial airline, it will take you 19 years to go around the sun once. But the staggering thing is the sun is just one unremarkable star among billions of stars in our universe. You see, friends, I think what we are meant to see here is the sheer power and the sheer majesty and the sheer glory of this one, this awesome God of Israel who can simply speak the world into existence. He is not a God 
that you and I can simply imagine up for ourselves and put in a little box to serve us. He is not a God whom we can trifle with. He is not a God whose words we can simply take lightly and dismiss, thinking that it will not affect us. For he is the God who created all things with his powerful word. He is the one who rules all things with his powerful word. Is this the kind of God that you know? Is this the kind of God that I know? Well, uh, we've soared above and uh, we've seen the psalmist calling for praise to come from the heavens. Uh, We've seen the psalmist working his way from the highest heavens to the lowest heavens, if you like. But in the second half of the psalm, we are brought down to earth. And the psalmist here calls for praise to come from the earth, but this time he works, notice, from the lowest parts of the earth up to the highest. And so you can see there that he begins in the depths of the ocean. In verse 7 he says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deeps. You know those ugly creatures that live on the bottom of the ocean floor? Uh, You see them on you know, David Attenborough documentaries, they are called to praise the Lord. But then the psalmist goes a little bit higher in the earth to the elements that we experience. Uh, In verse 8, he mentions the fire and hail, snow and mist, and the stormy wind. Uh, You might have seen the mist that uh, rolled into uh, Sydney on Thursday morning. Uh, Did anyone see that? There's a heavy cover uh, of of fog, thick fog, that engulfed the whole city and uh, brought it to a standstill. You know, suddenly flights were delayed, ferries were cancelled, people couldn't get to work, and there was utter mayhem. You see, friends, because we live in a fairly wealthy part of the world... Um, I think you and I are sometimes under the illusion that we can control our lives. And yet, all it took was a thick fog to show us that we were not in control of our lives. And frequently we see bushfires that take lives and property. We see hail that destroys crops and livelihoods. We see snow and mist that bring us to our knees. And what does the psalmist say? Well, in verse 8 he says that all these things obey the God who is in control. They fulfill his word, notice in verse 8. They do his bidding. But further, I want you to notice that the psalmist lifts us from the elements to the land itself and the creatures that live on the land, and he calls on them to praise the Lord. He says in verse 9, "...mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. But he doesn't stop there, does he? For in the end, he goes to the pinnacle of creation and he calls on all of humanity itself to praise the Lord. Uh, You can see it there in verse 11. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. You see, if you are a human being, 
you will fit into one of these categories, won't you? You will either be powerful or powerless, you'll be a man or a woman, you'll be young or you'll be old. All of humanity is called upon here to praise the Lord. But why is humanity called upon to praise the Lord? Well, if you have a look at verse 13, we are given a reason. The psalmist says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Now, I wonder whether you notice that this reason that is given to humanity is different to the reason that was given uh, prior to this to the rest of creation. Uh, Is there a significance to this difference? Well, I think there is. For out of all creation, remember that unlike the beasts, it is actually humanity that is given a special dignity in being made in God's image and a special responsibility to rule over this world uh, under God's rule and a special freedom to make moral choices that bring glory and honour to God. And yet, rather than choosing to exalt God, well, human beings without exception have chosen to exalt themselves. You and I have made ourselves into gods in rebellion against the true and living God. And that's why we get sick and we die under the judgment of God, unlike the sun and the moon and the stars which uh, continue to exist, sustained by God's word, humanity dies because we have rebelled. And yet, friends, here's the thing. Even though all of humanity, including you and me, have exalted ourselves in rebellion against the Lord of creation, well, this psalm tells us that the Lord has done something astonishing for his people. You can see it there in verse 14, can't you? Uh, Just glance down with me at verse 14. The psalmist says that the Lord has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. In the Bible, the horn is a symbol of great strength and power. Just imagine a bull who uses his horn to toss his enemies over his shoulder like a rag doll and gore them to death. Uh, It's a symbol that was particularly used of, of kings in the Old Testament, for they had the power to destroy their enemies. Uh, But notice what happens as a result of this horn that the Lord raises up for his people. It results in praise, says the psalmist. It results in praise for all his saints. Now, that is extraordinary, isn't it? That the very people who deserve nothing but judgment and condemnation for exalting themselves over God can now receive praise from the God who has drawn near to them. How will the Lord bring about this great salvation? Well, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Uh, This was our our, uh, New Testament reading this morning. Uh, But turn with me to Matthew chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 23. 
Matthew is the first uh, book in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. It says, uh, And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, in Jesus, the Lord of creation had stepped into the world. All he needed to do was speak, and the wind and the waves and the whole of creation would fulfill his word. Such was his glory and power and majesty that people feared him, asking, what sort of man is this, that even the wind and the waves would obey him? Come forward with me to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, towards the end of Matthew's gospel, and verse 51. Matthew 27, verse 51. Uh, This comes towards the end, um, uh, and in particular in the the part that recounts the death of Jesus. And Matthew writes in uh, Matthew 27, verse 51. uh, Verse 51. And behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, when the Lord of creation dies, the earth trembles. The creation shudders. The earth quakes. But even in this moment, there is one who recognizes that this Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King He is that horn that God had raised up in order to defeat the enemies of sin and death and Satan like ragdolls being gored by the horns of a bull. Finally, come forward with me to Matthew 28, just over the page, Matthew 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is what Matthew writes after Jesus is raised powerfully from the grave. He writes, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
You see, Jesus is the one who has now been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who is the Lord over this creation. He is the Lord of all things. And on the last day, he is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. Some will do it willingly and go to everlasting life. Some will do it forcibly and go to everlasting condemnation. But the good news is that it is still not too late to turn to this Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is still not too late to make him your Lord and my Lord. If you are here this morning and you know that you have not decided yet to make this Jesus your Lord and your Master and the King who rules your life, then the good news is that it is not too late. And so why don't you turn to him? Why don't you willingly decide to have him as the Lord of your life before that final and awful day when it will be too late? And if you are someone who knows Jesus as Lord, then can you see here that you and I are to praise God before others? We are to praise him and speak of how great and excellent he is, such that disciples are made and disciples are nurtured to themselves, praise the Lord. Well, friends, uh, let, me, let me finish up. Uh, I think Psalm 148 is a great psalm because uh, if you are anything like me, uh, you will forget to praise the Lord in the midst of life's difficulties and frustrations and sometimes the sheer mundaneness of life. Uh, we often forget to speak about how great our God really is, don't we? Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I went to drop off my children uh, at, at school. Uh, it was a cold winter morning, and uh, I got to talking to one of the Christian mothers uh, at the school. She asked me how I was going, and uh, with all the imagination I could muster, I simply said, I'm freezing. And she said, yeah, we, we can't seem to keep ourselves warm, can we? I nodded my head in agreement. Uh, but then she pointed up to the sun that had just started to break free of the clouds. And she said this. She said, but isn't it good that God brings out his big heater to warm us up? Isn't it good that he brings out his big heater to warm us up? What a great thing to say. Uh, here was a mother in the sheer mundaneness of life, teaching a pastor how to praise the Lord, the one who is the Lord of all creation. Um, I don't know everyone's situation in life uh, here at the moment. Uh, often I think we find ourselves frustrated by the work we do. Uh, if you are a parent of young children, um, I'm guessing that your life sometimes feels like uh, a never-ending repetition of cooking and cleaning and changing nappies. 
and waking up the next day to do it all over again. Uh, perhaps there are some of us who are sick and some simply can't do the same things that we once did before, and life is frustrating. Uh, but friends, I, I want you to see that in this psalm,